reading from the ESV, in fact, reading from pieces of paper, but it's actually from the ESV as well. These are fabulous words. Let's see what God has to say to us this morning through his servant Shabu. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Will ponder, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thanks, John. Morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for these beautiful words that you wrote through your servant, empowered by your spirit. And I pray now as we sit and listen, as we read, as we meditate, that your spirit will speak to our hearts, not just individually, but also as a church. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in your name. Amen. Uh, this psalm has been a deep and rich psalm for me to chew over uh, the last few weeks. Um, it's been something that God's been using to really speak to my soul on some things that are going on in my life and the life of our family. Nothing serious, but just things that made me realize uh, what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to have a, a deep relationship with God. So this psalm uh, really sets the scene for us. and In many ways, I kind of set it into three parts. The first part is what we're going to be looking at in verses 1 to 3. It's really setting the agenda by the psalmist by saying he is going to seek God. It starts with seeking God. Um, a few years ago, back in 2000, late 2000, uh, there was a, a modern-day poet by the name of Destiny's Child. They were an actual group. And they wrote a song called Survivor. 
And it goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. Now that you're out of my life, so they've obviously broken up with someone, I'm, I'm so much better. You thought I'd be weak without you, but I'm stronger. You thought I'd be broke without you, but I'm richer. I thought I'd be sad without you. I laugh harder. I thought I wouldn't grow without you. Now I'm wiser. And then it goes to the chorus and it says, I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to work harder. I'm a survivor. I'm going to make it. I will survive. Keep on surviving. These words, uh, this song, in many ways, particularly in our day and age, in this postmodern or post-postmodern era that we live in, really drives this message that you are strong. You are a conqueror. You can uh, be in charge of your own life. And in many ways, it's really sort of driving at the heart of all of us that we have got this. I don't need anyone's help. <laughs> the psalm is a wonderful reminder that we don't actually have it. We don't have it at all. What we know about it is that uh, this psalm, uh, a lot of the psalms that we have in the Bible, if, you, if you're new to the Christian faith, the psalms is probably one of the biggest chunks of the Bible. It's right in the middle. If you flip your Bible open in the middle, you usually land on it. Uh, the psalms are beautiful songs, poetry. Uh, some are crying out. Some are praises. Some are reminders. Some are historical sort of reminders of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. A majority of the psalms are written by a guy called David, or they say it's written by David. But we also know there are also other psalms written by other people, like this one, as far as we know, and you, this is nothing that a surprise, usually in your Bible you can see it up the start, it'll say who it's written by, and it says a guy called Asaph. Now we don't know what's going on and in regards to exactly what are the details of the situation Asaph is facing. We don't know all the details. But if you have not noticed, as John read the first few verses, it's a very heartfelt and quite specific cry. Whatever this circumstance is, this psalmist is starting to reflect and he's actually crying out. In the Bible, there's a word called lament. And well, that word is, in many ways, it's just sort of laying it all out. It's like a, a song that you sing when your heart is just crying out to God and there's nowhere else to turn. Because whatever the circumstances are, it's almost they're crushing this person. And that's the picture that's given to us in the first few verses. It's like the dark clouds of life is surrounding the psalmist. And in desperation, he's yelling out to God. And this desperation is pictured and shown to us that he's continually crying out. He's crying out loudly, not just once, but repeatedly. Because the days of trouble have arrived. The language that's used is like he's stretching his hands out. Let's try to give us a picture, a, a real deep picture that he's on the floor, he's crying, there are tears in his eyes, they're filling his eyes up, and he's crying out to God and crying out for help. Because he's looked everywhere, but nothing is actually cooling his pressure in his life. And it's the language that it's almost in all night he's praying. But this is quite unique in the psalm. There's a sense, there's a silence. There's a silence that's going on. And there's a reality that, that, that there's no comfort coming from God because he is needing a deep comfort, a deep comfort to his soul. 
And he's doing something which is right. He's actually seeking God. But in seeking God, it actually doesn't bring him any comfort. See, what's going on is it's to give us this picture that the dark clouds of life are surrounding him. It's almost suffocating him. He's crying out to God. But what's going on as he's crying out to God, I think there's a reality going on. And it comes out in the language as you go deeper in that, that he's realizing who he's talking to. He's talking to the one and only true God, the Holy One. And he's actually growing faint. And he's realizing how holy God is. It should actually bring him peace, but it actually gives him the opposite effect. You know why I love this psalm as I've been chewing over it? It shows us a beautiful picture of what life is really like. And what life can really become like for some of us. Or if not, if you are right in the midst of it now. But it also shows us this reality. That no matter what dark clouds are coming, if they haven't already arrived in your life, uncertainty, death, health issues, deep darkness of depression, addictions, pain, broken relationships, physical pain, emotional pain, it's showing us we can actually lie down and cry out to God and say, God, God. But we need to ask the question though, in those moments, for all of us, where do we go? Notice what the psalmist does. He's not running off to something else. He's going to seek God despite of the situation. So the question is, for you and I today, where do we go when the dark clouds of life come upon us? Do we automatically go to something else, ultimately to ourselves, to find the answers? And in our day and age, do we either go to God or do we go to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Google to find the answer? The psalmist is saying, despite of what's going on, you and I need to seek God first. But also, we need to seek God not in some sort of religious, I'm fine, but in a sense of being okay in a glorious mess. An absolute glorious mess. See, we, you and I live in this world, particularly in this Western context in Australia. We have this idea of faking it, not to show that we're struggling. And sometimes I think also it's, it's filtered into some areas of Christianity where you've been told that if you're a good Christian, everything in life should go well for you. God's favor is on you. And if you follow Jesus, this means this will succeed. Everything in your life, nothing will go wrong. Whether if it's in health or whether if it's in financial gain, everything apparently should go well. Really? Really? This psalmist is actually showing us not everything will go well. See, friends, I think you and I, particularly in our day and age, it's very hard for us to confess when we're struggling. It's very hard for us to confess the darkness that's in us and and the clouds that surround us. And not only that, we're afraid to actually go deep into that. We're afraid to go deep into those questions and ponder, and run into God. See, if you want to use the Ardain language, this psalmist is doing what every good Christian should do. He's praying. He might have been reading his Bible. 
Maybe he's meditating on God and who he is, but in the light of who he, God is and his holiness, it causes him to widely cry out. That's the language it's saying. It's feeling like the pressure's come down on him and it's, he's, he's caught in a rock and hard place. And what he's doing is he's in a fetal position, rocking back and forth and going, God, where are you? But notice though, despite of all those clouds that are around him, where does he still go? He goes to seek God. So where do you go? Where do I go when the dark things of life come? Do we still seek God? Because in relation of seeking God, it's, it's this transition that's about to happen from verses 4 to 9. So he seeks God and he's uh, seeking after who God is and he's having that conversation. He's saying he cries aloud to God, aloud to God alone. He cries, he knows God has heard him. In the day of trouble, he seeks God. And then we come up to this reality where it's something quite unique. He's gone from seeking God and now he's about to question God. There's a heap of questions that he delves into. From verses 4 to 9, he, he, he makes it very clear before he goes into the questions, he knows who's actually permitting this situation to happen in his life. In verse 4 it says, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He knows where this pressure, this reality of whatever's going on in his life, where God is somehow, for whatever reason, permitting it. He knows where it's from. But he is willing to go a bit further than just staying where it's from. He's wanting to go much further in this conversation with God. See, in those days... um. Uh, this, this language that's used in this psalm, it talks about the questions. And before he goes into this question, verse 6, he says, let me remember my song in the night. Uh, that's a unique thing to say because he, in those days, part of the normal thing is they didn't have uh, a Bible that they would pull out on their phone and look at a verse. You know, They might type in or Google suffering and all these verses come up. Nothing of those things. They were taught the God's laws particularly and they knew about God's stories and one of the traditions that they used to do was they used to sing songs before they went to bed. And the songs were kind of a, a remembering song. It was a, a song of singing of God's goodness and who he is. And particularly in times when there are enemies surrounding a nation, they would sing songs. It was a way of saying, hey, God has got this. It was an idea to bring comfort into their hearts and souls. It was also a renewed way of saying, we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. We are his people. And it was to encourage them to restful sleep, even when adversity is around them. But yet, when he sings this song, there's a sense that there's no comfort. There's no comfort coming from the songs as he remembers. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever done in the midst of dark times, you've done the right things. You've looked to God, you've read the Bible, you've sang songs. Maybe you've even talked to someone about it. In some sense, you've ticked all the boxes. But deep down in your heart, there's still this niggling question. And this psalmist does this beautiful thing in where he brings in questions. Church, that's quite unique. The reason why it's unique, I'll explain it in a sec. Because religion tells you don't question, you just get on with it, you suck it up. Religion tells you, well, that's how God does it. And particularly in our culture in Australia, we're told, Australian culture says, well, it should be right, mate, no worries. 
using modern day language, it's all good. Well, you know, what do you do? Sweet as, bro. And sometimes they might even say, well, I guess that's just the way. I'll just go along with it. And we might be even extra religious and say, ah, but you know, God's sovereign. There's nothing wrong with that. I believe God is sovereign. I believe in that doctrine. But don't just do that as a religious sort of mantra. What I love about this psalm is he seeks God and then he goes to question God. But the other thing to remember is was a disconnected faith will also do the questioning but in the wrong way. Where we turn around, it's like our fist in the end saying, why are you letting this happen? I'm with you, God. I'm one of your followers. You should not let these bad things happen in my life. It's not fair. See, this psalmist is really showing us this beautiful reality. This is the difference between the Christian God and any other God that's out there. Because the God of the universe, the God of the Bible that we are exploring today is a God about relationship. And that's what the psalmist is showing to us. He begins with seeking God, then he begins, then he goes into questioning God in the right way. And I love that because it's so authentic. It's like saying, Lord, all this stuff's going on. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know where you are right now. I know you're there, but I just, I don't know. Lord, I'm looking for you. Are you still there? God, I don't know how long this is going to keep going. I don't know if I can handle this. But notice the questions is to to force something to happen. You can't just stay there. You need to keep moving forward. And verse 7 shows that. See, it says that his spirit, all of his being, is starting to search. And that search is kind of the language of he's ransacking. It's like he's going through the whole household, ransacking to find the, the answer to his questions. And the questions is, Lord, will you spurn me forever? That verse 7, they're saying, God, will you reject me? Will you no longer be favorable with me? Will you not accept me anymore? In verse 8, he asks the question, God, is your love, your steadfast love? In the Bible, there's this language of covenant love. What that means is God's saying, I'm going to love you. You are my people. I will love you no matter what you do. I will still love you. I will still pursue you. So he's asking the question, God, has that love finished? And because he's a person who's a Jewish person writing this, he brings about the promises what this is, is it's going back to the Bible language of God's promises to his ancestors and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And he's saying, is that ended? Is that finished? Does that mean these promises that you've told us is finishing with us this generation? God, have you forgotten who you are? In verse 9, that you are gracious. You're not going to be gracious with us anymore? And he goes and says, well, God, in your anger and your compassion... Have you completely shut us off? And like I was saying, this really displays this beautiful reality. That the God that we worship as followers of God, we are not worshipping some God who's distant. It is a God about relationship. It is a God who we can have dialogue with every day. So the question is, do you see your relationship with God that way? Or is is he some sort of distant being? Do you see God as that one who you can have intimate relationship with? Is that the God you worship? Or has he become the God of Christmas? The God of Easter? The God that you talk to on Sundays? The God that you only talk to during small group? 
is he become that distant God? And church, this reality is to show us, no, you cannot have a relationship with the God of the universe in that way. It is a personal relationship. And there is a right way of questioning God. It's okay to ask questions of God and his character. Because you know what? I'm just guessing, but I've got a feeling that the creator of the universe can handle your questions. I've just got a hunch. He's okay with you questioning in the right way. I saw this beautifully uh, shown to me last year. Uh, some good friends of ours, of Beck and I, Dave and Wilma. They, uh, Dave is a church planner and pastor in California. And we got to spend some time with them. They have this beautiful family. They have about 12 kids or something anyway. They're a beautiful, gorgeous family. Uh, typical Californians into surfing, skateboarding. Um, their little daughter, Catherine, well, not little. She's, about, <laughs> she's in her late teens. Uh, last year, they found that she was getting a lot of headaches and they, they went to do some scans and they found this lump right behind her eye. And if you met Catherine, uh, you'd saw it almost like you hear the news and you kind of go, God, why? Why Catherine? And here's David who is a pastor of a fairly big church. He loves Jesus. His wife loves Jesus. And his response was, why not? And he said, as I was wrestling with these things and these truths, I turned around to God and I, the things that I know of God who is characters, he went and asked God. He said, God, why don't you give it to me? Don't give it to my daughter. Why her? God, what's going on? I don't know how this is going to work out. The, the professional people are saying this is most probably she would lose her um, sight. And, and also she was a surfer, so she loved surfing. She was very good at it and um, the reality was she might have not being able to walk and all these sort of complications were going on. And, and, he's, and as he, I'm reading his email and I'm having tears in my eyes and I'm thinking to myself, here is a man who's doing what the psalm is talking about where he's saying, hey, I'm seeking God, now I'm questioning God, I'm going, God, what's going on? What's going on? But I remember what the psalmist begins with. It's okay to question God, but he, he begins with that he's diligently seeking God. He's, he's, he's wanting to find some answers. But notice what these questions are ultimately about. The questions aren't really focused on himself. The questions are actually focused on God. He's actually questioning God's character. The dark clouds of life are surrounding you, and you're feeling the crush, crushness of it. I don't know if that's a word. I've just made it up if it's not. Sorry if you're a teacher. And rather than just staying focused on himself his, or his circumstances alone, he's rather than moving that focus completely back to the one who is in charge, who is in control. What he's doing, I think, in these questionings, it's like a therapeutic way to find an answer. What he's really doing, I think, is asking the question, well, what is the truth? I know what the circumstances, I know how I feel, but what is the real truth of what's going on? It's like saying, God, are you not there? Of course God is there. God, are you really giving up on me? Of course he hasn't given up on you. God, are you really done with me? No, he's not done with you. God, has your grace finished with me? No. And these questions are driving the psalmist to really think about who God is and his character. 
that despite of the circumstance, and despite of how he might feel, God is still the same. He is still gracious. He's still the one who is with them in that darkness. And so he wants the reality of the truth of who God is, his character, to drown out his circumstances, that drown out the noise that constantly is fighting against him to say to him, this is what you should believe. He's wanting to drown out, and he's drowning out by asking some good questions about God. And so from seeking God, he goes to questioning God. And from verses 10 to 17, it's like he begins remembering God. And he appeals to God. He appeals to the right hand of God. And I love how this psalm ends. Because see, at the start of the first a few verses, what do you notice? You use, notice a lot of singular words like I, I, I. And then finally, it's like this turn happens. And the psalm ends with you. You. His focus and perspective is changing. I think sometimes what happens is we, we are so focused on whatever's going on in our lives and, and that's the reality because that's life. We're in this dark thing that's going on in our lives and we lose perspective. And we forget to step back. And we forget to remember who God is. What he's doing is he's reaching out to the most high God, the creator of the universe. The language of the right hand is this right hand of God, the God of justice, the one who will deliver. Who will fight for you? And not only that, what he does is he's sort of sitting there and he's pulling out the old album or the old photos or the old letters and he's remembering God. And how does he remember God? He remembers God through his mighty works. He remembers God through the wonders that God has done for his people. He is remembering at the heart of it God's characteristic that he's the God who saves and redeems his people. He's probably remembering the stories of Exodus that were either he witnessed somehow or he was told or he read about it or he heard about it for that time and God miraculously parts the sea. And this burden and whatever's going on, the darkness that's crushing him, the situation, it's like he steps back. He's going, hold on. What is the truth? What is the reality? And he remembers those times. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, we've been here before. I remember that time. I remember that time when the God showed up. We had enemies behind us. They were going to kill us. He parted the Red Sea. That was amazing. It was glorious. He's moving away by just looking at himself, but looking to God and his perspective has changed. So church, what is it something that you're facing right now in your life? You might even feel like God has gone silent. You might even feel like the situation is far bigger than you. Church, this psalmist, this psalm is reminding and encouraging us to ultimately look away from ourselves to seek God, to ask questions about him and to remember him and his faithfulness. It's like to remember the truth in the lies that are going to be flooding your heart and mind. Because God has not left you. He hasn't abandoned you. Not only that, stop trying to manage it yourself, whatever that situation might be. But rather than trying to handle it yourself, 
Run to God. Cry out to him. Ask questions of him. But don't just stay there. Move forward by remembering who he is. Remember those moments of his goodness and grace over to you time and time again. Now, when I was chewing over this psalm, a bit of a skeptical voice came into my heart. And this was the skeptical voice. Well, most of us have not seen the Red Sea parted, right? Has anyone? don't think so. Maybe you've seen the Red Sea parted in one of those movies, if you're old enough, in the Charlton Heston movie, where he stands and the wind's blowing. Maybe recently in the modern-day adaptations of it, which is a bad movie, by the way. Either way, that's, that's, and you might have even heard these stories in Sunday school. And you might be sitting here and thinking, Should we, if I'd seen those things... Of course, this little circumstance would be very small. Maybe, maybe we're looking at our situation in the wrong way. See, what, what, it's, what it happens in those moments, we've got to remember, is that we cannot lose perspective. Either way, whatever happens in whatever situation, we need to remember one thing very clear. In the circumstance, when the darkness of life is surrounding you, the one thing that you need to always begin with is to cultivate your relationship with God. Because you notice in the psalm, there's a relationship going on. And because of that relationship, he's seeking God. And there's this deep relationship that is, which is just so much greater than trumps any religion that's out there. Because the Christian faith is not some religion. It is a relationship with the creator of the universe. In that moment when we see our circumstances and we might go, well, I've not seen the Red Sea part it should be, but we need to understand, well, where is your relationship with God? Are you seeking God? Then are you remembering to question Him in light of who He is? And have a dialogue with Him? And then thirdly, remembering His goodness to you. Because in that, we're actually now forced to move away by just focusing on our circumstance but look to the one who is in charge. And you and I have not seen the Red Sea parted, but we have this wonderful reality. This church, this person, they saw the Red Sea, but they never saw or heard or read about the Savior of the universe being raised again on the third day. Friends, in light of Jesus, in light of the gospel, you and I have a wonderful reality. We too have now been given this privilege to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. We too actually have a savior who's modeled this psalm in many ways. One of the most powerful stories of Jesus' life here on this earth, you can read about it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And one of the Gospels, it talks about how he's in the garden, he's sweating blood, he's crying out to his father and saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Jesus understands dark clouds. Jesus understands the pressures of life. But yet in that moment, he looks to his father. He seeks his father. He knew what was coming. He was about to experience the wrath of his father for the first time ever. Because of that, you and I are now being willing to have a relationship with God and we can actually have access to grace. And, you know, we also have a Savior who actually asks questions of his Father on the cross. He's hanging there. There's this mystery that I don't fully comprehend yet. 
that he cries out to God and says, My Lord, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? And we know we have a Savior who was rejected on your behalf and my behalf. And in light of that, you and I have great assurance. In the dark seasons of life, in the dark clouds, we have a Savior who was rejected on our behalf. But when you and I face things, we can go to the one and we can cry out and we can hear these wonderful, beautiful words, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And not only that, we've never seen the Red Sea parted. But we know when we celebrate Easter that one of the most powerful, glorious things happened. On the third day, Jesus rose again. Parting the ocean, amazing. Being raised from the dead, glorious. In light of that, sin and death are dealt with. This ushers a new reality for you and I. That no matter what circumstance we're in, and I'm not trying to play down whatever circumstance you might be facing right now, it could be a lot worse. You could be under the wrath of God, destined for hell. But Jesus in his grace has saved you, made you his daughter, his son. And the suffering and trial that do happen in life, if we put that through the mirror of the cross, our perspective with God's help should change. And we are moved not to try to manage it, or in other words, try to do it ourselves, which will ultimately crush us. We move to worship our Savior. And if you're here in the, for the first time, and you may have never heard this, just letting you know, following Jesus doesn't mean your life is going to go well. Most probably will go the opposite. So if you don't want a, a life that's hard, don't, don't follow Jesus. Don't, don't do that, actually. Do follow Jesus. There are people who say, if you follow Jesus, everything is going to go well. I've got news for you, it doesn't. If you don't believe me, read the life of our Savior. He's the most perfect human. He's God. In this world as he lived, he was perfect. He did nothing wrong. He did not sin. They crucified him because that was God's plan. Because he was perfect, he was raised again on the third day. But if you look at his life, it wasn't 100%. Then everyone else who's ever followed Jesus, you see... Paul, he's shipwrecked. He's beaten up for the gospel. A lot of these guys were homeless for the sake of the gospel. So following God does not mean everything will go well for you. But what it means, though, is we have a wonderful reality and glorious truth. That because of Christ, you and I can seek God. Because of Christ, you and I can question and ask God about what's going on because we have a relationship with Him. And because of Christ... You can and I can remember the wonderful, beautiful reality. And we can look and see that we were destined for hell and God saved us and made us his son and daughter. So in light of that, so what? Well, let me ask you a few questions to consider. What are you currently facing right now that feels like very much the first few verses of the psalm? So what are you doing to seek God? So here are some things to consider. Maybe this week. In the middle of your busy week, set aside 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever time you can set aside and ask the question to God. Seek God first. Are you currently in a situation, is your focus completely on yourself or is it on God? Like I was saying about setting aside time, this is good time. We live in a culture where you're told busyness equals holiness. 
Busyness does not equal holiness. Busyness does not equal holiness at all. You're told a lie. I'm told a lie. Somehow being busy makes you a more prominent person. It doesn't. So don't listen to the lie. God's given you a certain amount of hours in the day. He's given you a limit. He gives you sleep because we're not God. So that means maybe take some time out this week. What are the things that are overwhelming you currently? Why don't you write them all down? And then seek God. Put it next to God. And the other thing you could do is ask questions in the truth when you are facing lots of lies. Uh, just very quickly, I just want to put up here, uh, Jareth, there's up there on the screen. I don't know about you, I like little tables and charts. Um, this up here is what, something that's been really helpful for me. In the moments of uh, questions that are sort of filling my heart and I'm trying to work out, is God really there and what's going on? I've sort of used this. This is from a book by a guy called Tim Chester. Uh, and it's a book called You Can Change. And he re- writes in there and says, basically we as people listen to a lot of lies. So we need truth. God's word is truth. And he's used these principles to add to that way, not add to it, to encourage him. What he says is, we need to remember some truths. One, God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is gracious, we don't have to prove ourselves. God is glorious, good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. For me, these are truths that are helpful in the moments when I'm listening to something where I'm like, God, this is stressing me out, this person's making me a bit nervous, and I need to remember and go, hold on, what is the truth? God is glorious. I don't have to fear anyone. And often you will hear in our church that we always encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself and to each other. That's one way to remember the goodness and grace of God. And this is why we would encourage you to be involved in small group. Because we want you to share life, not just study the Bible, great, but share life. Just on a side note, for those of you who are helping people and encouraging people in their walks, I would encourage you to share God's word, but learn to listen to them, learn to pray with them, learn to cry with them. Don't just say, read your Bible and pray. It's a good thing, but get to the heart of what's going on. Blokes, I'm sure you love sharing your feelings. I'm sure when I talk about sharing your feelings and writing it down and crying about it, I'm sure you're thinking, oh, great, this is awesome, can't wait to do that this week. When I'm talking about crying and sharing feelings, I'm not talking about a bunch of you guys going out to the woods with a drum and sharing feelings. If you're interested in that, talk to Nathan. He runs the men's ministry. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you about it. What I'm talking about, men, is this. This week I was challenged through the Psalms. I met with four guys. They're all pastors, uh, different uh, ones church planning, ones a youth part, two youth pastors. Uh, they all got young families just like me, and we met together to start a process over this year. We're going to meet every eight weeks. And we've made a conversation with each other that we have permission to go, hey, how's it really going? What's happening in your life? Men, that's all you need to do. Very simply, meet with other men. Tradies, meet with other tradies. Talk to them and ask questions. Young men, I'd encourage you to meet with older men. It's a simple way of coming back to this idea of in the midst of the darkness, you need to have voices that will point you back to God. If you're new to Canterbury Gardens Community Church, I've got news for you. You might be thinking that Christians have got it all together. We don't. We are a glorious mess. And you know what? We have a glorious Savior who's very good at redeeming messes. 
and that it's a good place to be. We would love for you to be part of our church if that's the kind of church you want. We'd love for you to be part of it. And then I'm going to invite the music team to come up. I've asked them to uh, play a couple of songs. Um, the first song is really a, an opportunity for you to reflect, to stay seated, uh, to pray, talk to God, maybe read the psalm again. And the final song, we'll sing together as a church and worship our great King for who He is. So church, let us seek God. Let us be okay in questioning God through in light of who He is and His character. And then let us remember Him. And one of the glorious ways to remember is our great King who came to this world, who paid for our sins, but now is risen as Lord who reigns forever. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. Help us to be a people that don't fake it, that build our relationship as you have displayed in the psalm. In Jesus' name, amen.